Well, good morning. I uh, feel like we've uh, had a great start here already, and uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the, the, this topic. As we talk about the rapture, we've been talking about that for a couple of weeks, and we're not going to wrap it all up today, so if you feel like oh, we get to a point in time and you're like, wow, we're not even hardly scratching the surface. Well, that's okay. Um, so we're going to move right through this. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a notebook or paper, pen and pencil, tablet, phone, whatever, to take notes, be ready to do that as we work through this. I came across this in my study this week, top 10 ways to know if you're obsessed with prophecy. <laughs> I'm not going to give you all 10, all right? But uh, I, I moved down the, the, the list to number six. So, so number six was, uh, was this, you can name more signs of the times than you can Ten Commandments. <laughs> All right? Uh, number five, you refuse a tax refund check because the amount comes to $666. <laughs> number four, barcode scanners make you nervous. Um, number two, you never buy green bananas. Some of you are like, what? I didn't see green bananas in the rent. What? Think about it. It'll, it'll hit you. And the top of this, top 10 ways to know if you're obsessed with prophecy, you always leave the top down on your convertible in case the rapture happens. All right. <laughs> got to get your hearts a little light here as we begin, right? Um, listen, you may not be obsessed with prophecy, um, but the study of the end times, study of the book of Revelation, of course, is all about the end times, and, and those things intrigue you. Uh, or maybe you're not at all interested in Bible prophecy, all the different views and perspectives and positions and options simply confuse you. And you start reading about it, you start studying about it, and, and the words are like this long, and you begin to put those words in your head, and it's like, wow, this is way more difficult than I ever imagined it would be. I just will leave it alone and and, and use the information I know and go from there. Well, the words are huge and complicated. Words like eschatology, uh, millennium, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, tribulation, pre-tribulational, post-tribulational, dispensational, covenantal, hermeneutics, and we could go on. And you look at these words, and when you're studying uh, the end times, or you're maybe reading through, and you won't see all of those words in the Bible, but they have to do with the study of eschatology, which is the study of last things, all right? The end times. And so, as we talk about that, it may not be for you um, an obsession. It may not be an interest. You probably somewhere in between, or... Uh, maybe you are, just like you love it, can't get enough of it. But did you know that 27% of the entire Bible is prophecy? That's like 
a quarter. 27% of the entire Bible is prophecy. For every time the Bible mentions the first coming, the second coming is mentioned eight times. Did you get that? Every time you read about the first coming, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, or anything related to that, a lot of prophecies, eight times the second coming of Christ is mentioned. The Bible challenges us to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ over 50 times in the Word of God alone. And we could go on and talk about the value and the benefit that studying prophecy has. But the Bible itself tells us that. In the book of Revelation, uh, there is value to those who read prophecy, who study prophecy, who listen to it, and to obey it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now that's specifically relative to the book of Revelation. And, and folks, can I just tell you one of my pet peeves? It is not the book of Revelations. Or it is not, I mean, we're going to study Revelations today. No, it's Revelation. No S on the end, all right? Good, now I feel better. All right, blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart, obey, is what John's talking about, what is written in it because the time is near. And as we've said so many times, the, the time of the Lord's return is nearer now than when we first believed, right? And that's absolutely what's going on. And so as we talk about that, here's why we're studying end times or prophecy for these couple of weeks, uh, because we've talked about in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, getting our new perfect resurrection bodies. We will one day be like Jesus. We talk about our mission, more people, more like Jesus. That happens on this earth. But ultimately, we will one day receive new, perfect resurrection bodies. We will be like Jesus because we'll see him as he is at his return. I believe at the rapture, 1 John chapter 3. And so as we look at this, that's what we studied back a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and then chapter 16. And we saw this business of the resurrected body. The bodies will be raised to life of those who know Jesus as Savior. And so we're going to dive into this whole business of when that happens. So please open your Bibles with me to start here at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and 52. And if you don't have a Bible, would like to follow in an actual hard copy underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible. That's page 802 in that Bible. Uh, if you don't have your copy of the scripture or your tablet or phone or whatever you use to uh, study with us. So stay with us, folks. And, and, and I do have a number of these scriptures on the screen because I, I, I want you to get it. Uh, every time, uh, not every time, often I'm questionable. Don't you think that when you put the scripture on the screen that it causes people to get lazy? In fact, some people don't even bring their Bible because they know that you're going to put it on the screen. Well, 
I, I think there are some people here probably, and I don't mean this in any negative or critical way, who aren't as familiar with the Word of God, who, who can be benefited from having the Scripture on the screen in front of them. And then sometimes it gets difficult turning back and forth, and so that's why we do that. I hope that this will be a help to you as we talk through this. So as we look at this, follow with me as I read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting at verse 50. Now we've been through these verses, uh, or verse 51, excuse me, we'll just go there. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery, something that was previously hidden, unknown, now is made known. Here's the mystery. We will not all sleep for believers. That means die, right? We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. All of us who know Jesus Christ, the church, all right, that's what Paul's talking about. Those who have been saved from the time the church began in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, all the way up until the time that Jesus comes again at the rapture. That's who Paul's saying. We know this. Uh, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. If Jesus came back today, we would not all sleep. But some have. I talked to you a couple weeks, my mom and dad. Are asleep, and each of you know people as believers in the church age who have gone on home to be with Jesus. They are asleep, all right? We'll say a little bit more about that, but that's what Paul's talking about. Verse 52 In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Folks, that is instantaneous. That is so quick. They say the blink of an eye is about the fastest thing that can happen. You can't measure the time it happens so fast, right? You probably have blinked 10 times since I started just that last sentence. And, and, and that's what Paul, Paul is saying. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. Those who knew Jesus and have died on this earth, they will be raised. Their mortal, perishable, dead bodies will be raised and they will be reunited. They will give it, be given resurrected bodies when they see Jesus as he comes back. And then, and we will all be changed. Now, we've been through this, so I'm, I'm not going to go in, in great detail. We'll, we'll talk about another text that is similar here. But this is what Paul is talking about. I believe this is... This, these verses, 51 and 52, 1 Corinthians 15, a reference to the return of Jesus Christ for the church at the rapture. This is not, I don't believe, the second coming of Christ. This is not the second advent. The first advent is, one word, Christmas, right? The second advent is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is not the rapture. Now, not everybody believes that, folks, and I'm going to talk about that as well as we move through this. But I believe what Paul is talking about in verses 51 and 52 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, in fact, the return of Jesus Christ for the church. Just the church, all believers from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 until the moment that Jesus Christ comes again for the church at the rapture. But the question is, when will this happen? That is, as they say, the $64,000 question. When 
does this all happen? And so the question is as well, what are you waiting for? Uh, the, if you want to look for a title, that's what we're talking about. And you can look at that a number of different ways. What are you waiting for? Well, we're going to help you think that through. We're not going to jump into a full-blown study of eschatology or prophecy or end times because that in and of itself would take months. And that's not where we are at this point. But at the same time, as we're trying to make some sense of what Paul's talking about in a number of different areas as we're looking at some appendices from the book of 1 Corinthians. While we're here, I want to cover the rapture and some of the other prophetic issues relative to the rapture and uh, so that you can walk away in these next couple of weeks with a big picture understanding that will be of value to you. I don't want to just give you informational facts. It's great to have all that stuff. I don't even know if anybody pr plays a Trivial Pursuit anymore. Remember that game? And maybe if you have, maybe just uh, the, the different versions. Well, of course, somewhere along the way, they came out with the Bible trivial pursuit kind of, and the same thing. And maybe this is not about you having more answers to play Bible trivial pursuit, all right? And here's why. I came across this quote from a guy by the name of Mark Hitchcock. I want to show you his book in just a minute, but he said this. Prophecy was not given to just stir our imagination or capture our attention, I would add, or to let us win Bible trivial pursuit. God intends for prophecy to change our attitudes and actions. Folks, that is huge. That is the purpose of all Scripture. We sometimes... Look at all the Bible studies and things that we can be involved in, and it's all informational. God's Word is always intended to be transformational. And so the prophetic truths are there to change our attitudes and actions so they will be more in line with God's Word and God's character. That is critical. All right, that is so important that we get that. Even prophecy, which has to do with what's ahead. And everybody, especially because things don't go the way we like with the Supreme Court or with politics or with the economy. We look around the world at the wars. We look at what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. We look at what's happening in Myanmar. We look at what's happening in the Middle East. And, and we look at all of that stuff. We look at all of the tornadoes and, and earthquakes and, and famines and droughts and floods. And we say, oh, man, the Lord's return must be near. Well, folks, that yes and no. Uh, I'll say it once. I've said it before and I'll probably say it again. But there is nothing left prophetically that has to happen before Jesus comes again at the rapture. Nothing. That's why we say, do you realize Jesus could come before you eat lunch today? Woohoo! Wouldn't that be great? Well, I would, I would be happy. But folks, we many times talk as if we, we can say that and say, yeah, I believe that. But then we say things that, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. It would seem that we're looking for something to happen 
before the rapture can happen. And, and there's nothing listed, given to us in the Bible that has to happen before Jesus comes again at the rapture. The second coming? Yes, a lot. And I'll get to that too in just a minute. But that's critical that we understand as we study this. So what is next in God's prophetic calendar? What are you waiting for? Well, it's the rapture. And John chapter 14, and if you want to follow with me, John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 14. And the first three verses. John chapter 14, the first three verses. And this is what uh, Jesus said to his disciples. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And folks, I don't know if you realize this, but when we read John 14 and, and we take a look at that and, and we quote, we all know John 14, 6, right? Which is, I No man comes to the Father but by me. Who said that? Jesus said that, right. So we know, that, do you realize that happened after, in the last week of Jesus' life? Do you know John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples the last week of his life, the Passion Week. That's when this is happening. He's already had Palm Sunday here. And so he's talking to his disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled because they were. They were, the disciples were a little bit confused about what was going on and they were concerned. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is talking. Verse two, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I would never have said that. In other words, I've prepared a room for you. And I would have never said that if I wasn't going to my father to prepare that room for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I will come back and take you to be with me. That's the rapture, folks. I believe it's the rapture. So that where so that you also may be where I am. Now, keep your, mark that, get it, know it. We won't come back right now, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Write these texts down so that you can make reference to them as you're thinking through this, as you're following up, as you're having conversations. This will be great community group talk, all right? As we talk about all of this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 18. This is a text that I'm sure you typically hear at a funeral service. Um, this, is, this is where we go often, and, and we should because it's great truth. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The vessel and the believers were concerned about what happened to those who had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior but died. They didn't know, and they were concerned about it. And that's why Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to grieve like those who don't know Jesus because things are different for you. 
And he goes on, verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. There's the gospel. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Sound familiar? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, they reference each other. That's what he's saying. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now what? Wait a minute. I thought you said, Glenn, 1 Corinthians 15 says that the bodies of those who sleep are going to rise. Now he's saying, we believe that Jesus is going to be, what's he going to bring? He's going to bring the disembodied spirits of those who have died. Remember last week we talked about the bodies, we don't get the perfect bodies until the rapture. We've been saying that, we just read that in 1 Corinthians 15, but we also would say, hey, my mom and dad are in heaven with Jesus right now. What, what's their being like? And I told you, we don't know for sure. We know that one day they will have a perfect body, but that doesn't happen till the rapture. We do know they're in heaven, so their spirit. So what would you call that? Well, a perfect spirit is with Jesus in heaven, some way, somehow. But so we also said that that's recognizable because remember the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of Matthew, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they met Moses and Elijah, they recognized them. So, so that's, that, put those things together and say, okay, yes. Yes, right? That's, that's what I know. I, I can't explain it all, but yes. So there we go. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, you and me, Paul's talking a lot of years ago, that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have already died who knew Jesus will rise first, and then we who are left, who's still alive in there, we will follow them. And that's when we will all be transformed to get those glorified bodies. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together, raptured, caught up together. Now, that is not the word rapture, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, listen, the Lord does not come to the earth. That is critical. For those who think that the rapture and the second coming or the second advent are one and the same, these are two completely different events. Because we're told when Jesus Christ comes again, the second coming, the second advent, he comes to the Mount of Olives. He doesn't even come to the earth. He, in the clouds, in the air, we meet, we go up. Jesus does not come all the way down. That will happen at the second coming of Christ. And we'll get to that too as we work through this. And so there it is, verse 17 again. After that, we who are still alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Wow, it ought to be an encouragement. When I think about my mom and dad, when you think about those who knew Jesus, who loved one's friends that you've lost, that ought to be an encouragement because you know you will one day again see them together with Jesus. 
That's what Paul's talking about. Wherefore, encourage one another with these words. So where do we find the word rapture? Well, in the Bible, it's not there. He said, what? How can we talk about the rapture and the board's not even in the Bible? Folks, do you know the word Trinity isn't even in the Bible? Did you know Bible isn't even in the word Bible? <laughs> so we, we need to be careful about what we believe or why we believe it, okay? So understand, here we go. So uh, th- the idea of the word rapture means to snatch or to seize, to take suddenly. A fourth century scholar, historian by the name of Jerome translated the New Testament Greek into Latin. And when he translated the Greek into Latin, he came up with this word, and I'm not a Latin scholar, so if anybody here is, I'm just going to say it. As I even went on Google and, and tried to get it to pronounce it for me, and it was like, rapio. And I'm like, I don't know if I said that right or not, but the Latin word rapio, and, and that's our English translation, rapture, to snatch, to seize, to suddenly take away. That's what we're talking. That's what is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's what's described in John chapter 4. That's what's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and many, many, many other verses as we talk about the rapture. The catching away of the church. The rapture is only, only, only for the church. It is not for the Old Testament saints who are followers of Jesus. It is only for the church. Understand that. That's critical. And that's what Scripture tells us. And so we need to know that. Two parts to the rapture. The resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There it is, the resurrection of the dead. Those believers who have died since the church began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And that will continue to happen for all of those people who, are, who die up until the day of the rapture, right here when Jesus comes back again. The, the resurrection of the dead, that's what's happening at that point. Jesus will bring with him, as we saw, the disembodied, perfected spirits of all believers who have been with him in heaven. You see, I came across this, and I hadn't thought about it, but I read it makes sense. So death in the Bible always means separation. You know that, Right? Death in the Bible always means separation, not annihilation. Not annihilation. You say, and I was asked this question, not because of that statement, but I was asked after a week or two ago when we were talking about the resurrected bodies and what, what about those that are cremated? Hmm. Boy, God really has a problem, doesn't he? Well, folks, I should have asked my friend uh, Undertaker how long it takes for a body, even after it's embalmed, to decompose. But you do know that happens. So when they dig up graves sometimes, they have to do that for various reasons. That body is not just like it was when it was put in the grave. I realize not all bodies go to the grave anymore, right? 
But what we're talking about is the, the body part, the, the shell. If you think of two peas in a pod, the pod, right, that's left behind, all right, that's what we're talking about. And it may not be a body. God will have no more problem putting together a cremated body, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Um, but we'll have no more problem putting together a cremated body than he will have a decomposed body for the perfect bodies at the rapture. That's not a problem for God. He's God. Okay? So when you think about that, but death in the Bible is always separation. So when Adam and Eve, back in Genesis chapter 3, sinned, they died spiritually. No, they're still living, right? They still walked, right? But they died spiritually. What? They were separated from God. They were kicked out of the garden. They needed a relationship with God. And so Adam and Eve were separated from God. It's the body that falls asleep. So when Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, sleep for the believer, it's the body that goes to sleep. You and I, our spirits are immediately with God in heaven. So there we go. I hope that's clear. Um, so the second thing that happens, the resurrection of the dead, verse 17, the second thing is the transformation of the living. We've been talking after that when we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So that's the transformation. The resurrection of the dead, the transformation of those of us who may still be alive. You realize when Paul's talking here, he thought he might be alive when Jesus came again. What's the big deal about? I'll talk to that. I'll get there in a minute. All right. So the transformation of the living, those as believers who are still alive when Jesus returns will also get new bodies. And that's critical. So when does the rapture occur? Well, we've, we've got a lot of questions to answer as it relates to the timing because that's the key. So what does the church have to do with the tribulation? We have to understand that before we can answer the timing. What does the church, that's us, not just the local church here that meets in this building on Sunday mornings called Heritage Baptist Church, but what does the church, all believers from the day of Pentecost to the day of the rapture when Jesus comes again, that's the church, as we call it the universal church. That's what we're talking about. And so what does the church have to do with the tribulation? In other words, will you see, if you're, if you're alive, will you see the Antichrist? I hear all the time, what are you going to do with the mark of the beast? Do you think you're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not you'll get it? Well, that depends on your position on when does the rapture take place. Okay, so it's, these are the kinds of things as we think about that. Will you as a believer be in the tribulation for none? For all or for part of the tribulation? Will you as a member of the body of Christ, the church, be around for half of it, all of it, none of it? Well, again, there are five views of the tribulation. And let me run through these and we're going to then stop. And the five views of the tribulation all have to do with when the rapture takes place. And, and I don't expect you to, to memorize all of these. This is not a... Uh, a, a class 
that we're going to test you on. So it helps to know what you believe. So I'll share these positions because there are good, solid people that take a lot of these positions. All right? So I'll share with you where we are as a church based on what we have stated in our doctrinal statement, our statement of faith, and I'll tell you where I am as well. Um, First of all, there's the mid-tribulation rapture. The rapture will happen midway through the seven-year tribulation. That's what they believe. The wrath of God does not begin to be poured out on the earth during the tribulation until the halfway point. Now, I'm telling you, this is what they say. All right. In other words, at the three and a half year point, you'll read in scripture, go to Revelation chapter 11, early in the first few verses, you'll see it talks about 42 months. It talks about 1260 days. That's 300, that's three and a half years. And so the, the mid-trib people say that he'll come back then because the last trumpet that sounds in Revelation 11 or of the sixth trumpet, they would say is the same as the trumpet that we just read about in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Corinthians 15. All right, let me just say, that's not where I am. It's not where we as a church are, okay? But that is a position that some people hold to. There's the post-tribulation rapture. The rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation. And it will be part of two phases, in a sense, of the second coming of Christ. That's what the post-tribbers would say. So Jesus will meet believers or the church in the air. We just read that, 1 Thessalonians 4. And then we will come back. He'll take us to heaven and we will turn right around, make a U-turn and come right back to the earth with him at the second advent, the second coming to the Mount of Olives. Now that's what the post-tribbers will say. And then uh, there's no wrath involved because they would say that there's no wrath in the tribulation until near after the sixth seal has been opened after that point, then, there is the rapture, or there is the wrath, but at the second coming, we're taken out before we, the, the wrath is poured out on the earth at the end of the tribulation. So the second coming, or second advent, is one event with the rapture being the beginning of the second coming. That's the post-trip. Partial rapture theory, multiple raptures during the tribulation. You say, what? How do you get that out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Well... Multiple raptures, in other words, it all depends on how obedient you are as a believer now. Seriously. Um, distinguish, it distinguishes faithful, godly believers from unfaithful, worldly believers. Almost like kind of a purgatory. They don't say it that way, but when you think about it, and we talked last week how we don't believe. The Bible doesn't say a word about purgatory. That's not in the Bible. But yet at this point... Uh, those who are faithful and godly believers will go first, and then those who haven't been so faithful, who maybe are more worldly, but they're believers, they will go sometime later on during the tribulation. Well, you nowhere in Scripture find any kind of discussion about the church, the body of Christ being divided like that. It's always the we. It's like Paul says in chapter 15. He says, we all will be changed. We all will be changed. Not some of us will be at the rapture. Some of us will be later on during the... It doesn't say that, okay? Pre-wrath rapture. This is the newest of all of them. Uh, <clears throat> this happened back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, and they say the pre-wrath rapture will occur at the five and a half year mark of the seven year tribulation. About three quarters of the way through. 
And they say the wrath that happens during the tribulation up until that point is the wrath of man or the wrath of Satan, not the wrath of God. The wrath of God doesn't happen until the five and a half year mark in those seven years. All right? You read through scripture and you'll study the day the Lord begins the beginning of the rapture. I'll get to that in a second. And there's wrath throughout the tribulation and it is always the wrath of God. Not the wrath of man, not the wrath of Satan. All right? And so the rapture comes after the sixth seal is broken and there's no wrath for them at the revelation Pre-wrath rapture said that's when that would happen. And then there's the pre-tribulation of rapture or the pre-trib position. And that's where we are. That's where I am. And I've had a great week studying. And uh, I forgot how much I forgot. I mean, this is stuff, it's like, wow. You, you put all that back together and you get, and it's like I told Jane, I said, man, I, there is so much, this is exciting. This is really cool to get back into this. I don't think I had to know all this like this since my ordination, Scott. <laughs> um, so anyway, the church will be raptured before the seven-year tribulation. The tribulation begins with the Antichrist signing a seven-year treaty with the nation of Israel, which there's all kind of implications to that. Like Israel's got to be in the land. Do you realize that for a number of years, a few hundred years, there, there has been a, a gathering back in the nation of Israel? You know what happened in the late 40s, right? Israel was acknowledged as a nation. You think that has any significance? Well, if you read your Bible, it does. And, and all of these things are coming together. And, and, and so this treaty that the Antichrist signs with Israel, well, there has to be somebody in the land to be able to do that, and there is. And they're coming back in droves. And that's, so that's the position. And we would say, well, why the pre-trib? And I'm going to stop here and, and go. There's, there's a number of reasons, and we're going to get that, and maybe that'll give you cause to come back next week so that we share with you uh, all of why that is. But here's the bottom line, folks, and this is critical. And again, we've talked about a lot of facts, a lot of information. Maybe you had some things re-stirred up or reminded of some of those facts that you knew. Maybe there's some new information that we've covered for you today. But what I want you to know is none of this matters unless you're more ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Titus, have your Bibles, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13, I would say. And again, let me remind you of the quote that, that I gave to you earlier. I think I got you out of order, Jake, but there you go. Man, you're good. Thank you. Prophecy was not given to just stir our imagination or capture our attention. God intends for prophecy to change our attitudes and actions so they will be more in line with his word and his character. The more you know about the return of Jesus Christ, the more like Jesus you ought to be. And that's why we're talking about this stuff. More people, more like Jesus. Second, or Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We said that last week, right? Salvation is exclusive. There's only one way. It is not like many people think, oh, it's just like a bicycle wheel. Jesus is at the hub and all the spokes. There's all kinds of ways to get there. You'll get there eventually. No, that's just baloney. 
It's not in Scripture. For the grace of God has appeared that t- offers salvation to all people. That salvation is by the grace of God, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we get saved. That's how we get to God. That's how we know the grace of God. And it has appeared to all people and those who believe. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Teaches us to say no to disobedience. Those things that would be disobedient in Scripture. When you look at the Great Commission, we're to go, we're to, we're to, to, to for all, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Here it is. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. That's to obey all that God has commanded. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And when you know, here it is, verse 13. While we wait, all that is happening, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. And as we say, one of the greatest proofs of our position as a pre-tribulational rapture people is the imminent return, the any moment. It could happen, and it will happen. We know it will happen. It's certainly going to happen. We don't know when. But because it's imminent, any moment, it could happen by lunch today. Well, if that's true, folks, how ought we to live? Saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The return of Jesus Christ better, if you say you believe what you believe, it better affect the way we live. Because Jesus could come today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28-29. We don't want to be ashamed or embarrassed before him at his coming. What does that mean? We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions because Jesus could come today are you ready are you ready oh god thank you that you've not left us ignorant and uninformed about our future thank you father that we can know what it is you've got planned and god though we don't know the specific time or the day Oh, God, we know it's soon. We know you're coming. God, help us to be ready. Help us to be living who know Jesus, to be living a life that we wouldn't be embarrassed to stand before you when you do come. And, oh, God, if there are any here today who don't know Jesus, God, today may be their last chance, and I don't want to say that to lay guilt. God, I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the lives of any today who don't know Jesus, who have never had their sins forgiven. God, draw them to yourself. Cause them to understand the only way their sin can be forgiven and made right and taken away is by Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross. And he proved that it was the only way by rising from the dead. Oh, God, help us to be eagerly 
waiting for Jesus to come back to live our lives in a way that would attract people to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.